0: Welcome to a new episode of the Oh My Curry Goodness podcast. I'm your host, Hamza Islam. My guest this week is Seika Brown, who is the founder and CEO of the YLG Research. YLG stands for Youth-Led Global, but her organization focuses on how mental health is defined across different cultures. And there's no doubt that mental health has been a, a big topic these past couple of years, especially with the pandemic. And ultimately, it is one of the most confusing Topics today because we just don't know what a person is going through at the end of the day. And the fact that she is focusing on this field and also how mental health is defined, not just in the United States, but in different countries, is really cool. And I'm excited to talk to her. And I also want to say that this is a very historic episode. Given that I'm grateful for the six guests that have joined this podcast before Seika, and I know there are going to be many more episodes. But this episode, we are finally living up to our name. Seika is the first guest that has openly told me that she loves curry. So I am very excited. Now, I don't know if it's the same curry that I like, but it's I'm just so excited. And it's gonna be, it's gonna be an amazing conversation. I promise we're not gonna talk about curry as much as I would like to, hopefully. I'm just kidding, no. That's not gonna be the bulk of the conversation, but there might be a little bit of curry references here and there. Um, nevertheless, um, I do hope that you guys take a few things away from Seika's conversation or my conversation with Seika. She has had a, an amazing journey to where she is today and she is one of the nicest people I have met. So here's my conversation with Seika Brown. Hope you guys enjoy it. Seika Brown welcome to the oh my curry goodness podcast
1: thank you so much for having me i'm super excited to be here glad to see you
0: <laughs> of course this is such a historic day because i've obviously interviewed six people you are all you are now the seventh guest and no dis- disrespect to the six guests previously but we are finally living up to our name oh my curry goodness because seika brown loves i mean loves curry so this i'm a is,
1: big curry fan
0: this is truly an amazing <laughs> moment finally
1: i'm glad i'm honored I, i'm honestly honored to be the first one who who is outspokenly um loves curry i had curry last night for dinner actually just just for this interview
0: you know it, it's it's funny because i was talking to my friend the other day and there was just this level of excitement getting ready for this and my friend went it took seven episodes to finally get to this point and i was like yeah, yeah i'm finally- actually
1: surprised <laughs>
0: no you know what i was thinking as i was getting ready for this obviously you know you are the seventh guest but i would love if we if i ever get the chance to do in-person podcast events Mm. i would love for you to be the first in-person podcast guest we're just like talk about life talk about curry i think it would be it'd be amazing it'd be perfect dude
1: we could be eating curry together we can be talking about everything it'll be amazing
0: yes (laughs) you can talk it'll be your choice because i know for low context seika is half british half japanese so they also love curry. So you get to choose, but ultimately, yes, we can talk about curry, we can talk about life, and then complain that at the end of the day, our stomach is killing us. So <laughs> it's truly, <laughs> it is awesome. But thank you so much for being here. Um, the, there's, a big, there's a better reason why you're here, not just because you love curry, but <laughs> because of the fact that you're involved in one of the most, I think, confusing fields of activism today. Mental <laughs> health has been a topic that has been pretty popular for the past couple of years especially with the pandemic and yeah i know as a mental health activist you have your own definition and perspective on mental health but for a lot of us ultimately no matter how much we spend time with a particular person ultimately there's always something where we're like oh my gosh i didn't know person a or person b was going through this Mm -hmm. as an activist you're also someone that is spreading awareness on talking about it's okay to not be okay. It's okay if you're going through certain things in your life or certain situations in your life. And you are someone who I know, uh, based on the past conversations, you always try to be the best person you can be to other people. But oftentimes it's hard to include yourself in that process. It's like, yeah, I want to be the best version to others, but like, am I being the best version to myself? Right. I'd love to know two things. One, what does mental health mean to you and why, why be involved in this field and secondly how hard is it for you to remember that yes it's important to be the best version to other people but it's even more important to look after yourself
1: yeah great questions honestly great way to start the conversation why mental health I mean like I think for everyone there's personal reasons for everything um I'll just jump into it when I was eight when I was eight years old my older brother attempted suicide And while that was extremely difficult for a multitude of reasons, um, I think I was really blessed that I was able to be with him and be next to him as he was going through his healing journey and his healing process. And so I grew up with a lot of things, you know, that were taught in his therapy appointments. And I learned quickly that it's, it's okay to talk about mental health and you're going to struggle sometimes. And that's all right. Um, and so when I came into high school, I didn't really see my friends having that same perspective. They're the, they kind of struggled with stress and anxiety. And so I realized it was a really important, um, conversation that needed to be happening. And, um, and so I was like, you know what, let's talk about it. So I decided to talk about it. And then when it came down to taking care of myself, again, I think I was working with a lot of my friends in high school and I still do. And so I just, I realized I don't want to be a hypocrite. I think it's like the main thing. Like if I were as a hypocrite, then, and I wasn't taking care of myself. It would be so counterintuitive. So I want to preach and practice everything I'm saying and everything I'm doing. Um, I think it makes sure that I love the work that I'm doing. So taking care of myself is, while it's difficult. It's good. And it makes sure that I'm like on the same page as the rest of everyone else, right? (laughs) Working in mental health doesn't make you an expert. So, yeah.
0: Absolutely. And as an activist, one of the things that, one of the common traits a person has is the fact that they never give up. And the person that I'm speaking to today, it goes back to really what you had to go through in high school. And for those who don't know or may know you, um, your mental health project, your mental health activism started because you had the psychology project. I think it was to create like a mental health resource club. I think yeah. this was when you were 15 and you presented this to your principal and your principal basically rejected your proposal altogether. But yeah. that rejection really allowed you to uh, create an organization uh, called Orp Nova. You mm-hmm. worked with the Washington State legislator, and I think you worked on two bills. One didn't get passed, but I think the second one did. Yeah. And this rejection just took you on a journey to where you are today. And I know I kind of gave people a mini crash course on you. And feel free to talk about anything that um, that I may have not brought up. But I would love to know how you're able to not give up because. Oftentimes when we talk about mental health or certain issues that are affecting, especially the youth, we mm-hmm. think this stuff should be quick and easy, but this took a process. This took basically the entire, your entire high school career. I'd love to know how you're able to just go, you know what, this is going to be a long process, but it's okay. I'm not going to give up and I'm not going to let anything stop me.
1: Yeah. I think I realize like I love stories a ton. Um, And like, when you watch a movie or watch a TV show or read a book, um, you don't read it because the person gets it right the first time, right? You watch a movie because there's a storyline and you pay attention because uh, you can relate to the main character or you can relate to the characters. So I think when it comes down to giving up, I'm like, no, when something happens and things don't go my way or when I fail, I just see it as an opportunity to build the story, which is arguably more impactful than what a bill could ever do or what some research could ever do. Um, Cause we all can understand a story, right? There's a lot of complexities in terms of passing a bill, but I knew early on that even if my friends and I were failing to do, you know, failing to pass a bill or something at the end of the day, we were young people in these you know, offices in the Capitol, in the legislature, and we were making a story young people working with politicians so I think I just try to see the big picture and just remember that even if things fail it's still a good story
0: yeah and, and it's inspiring oh yes of course I think that's one of the things where people will look at like superhero movies or movies where like they lose the first time but then they win the second time and it's like mm-hmm. yeah who cares we already know the story but it's like yeah but let's talk about the actual story that took place because people undermine the importance of what that person had to go through to get to where they are at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, Before we talk about your role in uh, learning about mental health across different cultures, I want to go back and talk a little bit about ARC NOVA because that was the organization you founded at 15 that really Mm -hmm. led you to work with Washington state legislators in order to get bills passed. Um, But this organization focused a lot on mental health policy And what's interesting is oftentimes people care more about like what your organization does. Like no one cares about the name. They're just like Mm. what your organization is about. But I really want to know more about what ARC, like I want to know more about ARC NOVA. Because um, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you connected, you had like, you use like Greek and Latin to combine this word. And I think it means like new beginnings. Yeah. I would love to know how you came up with this creative idea. And secondly, Arc Nova wasn't just about you; it was about mm-hmm. a group of friends that you worked with to make this dream a reality. So, I'd also love to know what it was like to be able to share that moment with your friends, because obviously, it would be great that you did this all by yourself. But I think having doing it with your friends creates a better experience and maybe a memory in a way, regardless if things went your way or didn't go your way.
1: Yeah, I think the the way to answer that question, like both of those questions, kind of tie in together. Um, Like I said earlier, um, I think stories are a beautiful thing. And when my friends and I were starting ARC Nova back when I was 15 and we were all 15, we were like, what kind of story are we painting? We're painting something new, right? This is something that we haven't seen a ton, um, especially back in like 2016, 2017. Um, And I was like, this is a new beginning, right? Where we have young people leading the conversation, um, being the ones to talk about mental health in a bold way. And I was like, okay what word means new beginnings? And I didn't really find anything on Google. Yeah. So um, I was like, let me just low key create a new word. Um, I took two, I took a Latin root and a Greek uh, like suffix and I just combined it to mean new beginnings because I think that what was that's what we were standing up for. Um, and it was also it was like a new beginning for all of our friendships, like the way we interacted with each other, the vulnerability that we had to share. So um, I, working with them, is honestly like one of the most beautiful experiences of my life and I'm extremely grateful for it. I don't talk to this, like everyone from the group I- anymore, but I'm very grateful for them. And I'm grateful for the time that we've had together. And then two of them are still like my best friends today. And I think we always laugh because we kind of forget that we did that. We're like, oh, I forgot we worked on the bill. Like I forgot we worked on those and we passed one. So it's kind of like a fun thing. And like you said, I think it keeps us in check. It keeps us humble and lets us walk with humility, which is something I really am passionate about. And so I think sharing that moment was just beautiful because it wasn't about me.
0: Is there a part of you that I guess wishes Arc Nova was still a thing because given Mm. that something that people will, people who know you will remember you for, and obviously you're, what you're doing now is really special, but is there a part of you that wishes that you could still keep going given that a, this was with one of your closest friends and B, this was something that really propelled you into the person you see today?
1: I, I was very content when I decided to end it. Um, because we disbanded the organization at the end of my senior year of high school. Um, and all of us were going to different colleges, different universities, different life paths. And it didn't really feel correct for me to drag right some of my closest friends um, into the next stage of their life leading this organization. And so I think I'm very happy with the way things ended. We ended with writing a toolkit for other activists um, to follow, not just for mental health activists, but for anyone looking into advocacy. We made that toolkit together and it was kind of like, like our last, it's time to pass the torch it's time to give it to the next group of young people and also i'm not i'm not extremely into politics
0: um
1: <laughs> i'm just not the kind of person that i am obviously i find importance in polit- in politics but i don't think i'd be a good politician um and i was always interested into cultures and research and conversations more than i was into passing bills and legislation so no i don't i don't think i'm ever like rem- i i definitely reminisce and i think about back to old times, but it's never like, oh man, like I wish that was still here. I think the fact that it was only like three or four years of our lives is what made it special. Um, and making it last even longer, I think would have gotten rid of that. So I think we all ended on good terms and I'm just, yeah, I'm very grateful for that time together and that time in high school.
0: I want to transition into, um, what you're doing now, because I think, don't get me wrong. I think what you did in high school was pretty cool, but now here you are transitioning into, Learning about different cultures. Um, mm-hmm. you founded an organization today known as, well, not today, but like what you're known as today is the founder and CEO of Youth led Global Research, mm-hmm. where you study mental health across different cultures. Now, going from policy, so <laughs> learning about different cultures is a complete 180. Yeah. I love <laughs> you, obviously you talked a little bit about uh, or I talked a little bit about how you're British and Jap Jeff- or half British, half mm-hmm. Japanese. Jeff- you talked about combining Greek and Latin. So there's obviously there's little bits of cultures here and there, but ultimately what led you to decide to take that jump and how difficult was it given that they're two completely different like
1: things. things. Yeah, awesome. it, it was hard. Um, I think a lot of like political activism is very in social media Um, and I'm not, I'm not like a good social media influencer um, <laughs> and it's not really my cup of tea to like be in that type of spotlight. And I think I got really stressed out because of that, but obviously I love mental health and I love talking about it. And it's not just, I love it. It's important. And I, I think I have been called to do this work. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a big switch, but I, I'm, as like I, you've mentioned, I'm half Japanese and I'm very close to my mother um, and part of my brother's healing journey Back when everything was going on with his, you know, suicide attempts and his depression, and his struggle was understanding the culture that my mom was raising us in, even though we are from, you know, we were living in the United States. Um, and that took a lot of maturity, that took a lot of growth, that took a lot of time, um, and that took a lot of conversations. And so I think having those personal conversations with my mom helped me have a different perspective and a different mindset. And like, oh wait maybe my perspective of mental health isn't the same way everyone else perceives it. And maybe people don't even need to perceive it the same way I perceive it. Maybe all we really need to do is take a second and listen to where their values come from and what actually helps their mental health. Because the Western way to you know approach mental health won't work in every other country across the world. So I think- I, especially in, this, in the United States, we have an insane mix of cultures, an insane mix of backgrounds. And so I was like, I think we're missing a research gap here. Um, we're talking about policies, but you can't provide solutions without listening to the people. And within the mental health research world and just within mental health in general, there's this huge gap Um in both research, but also in mental health understanding. We just don't take into account the culture, which is, I think is a big flaw and that has prevented us from making good solutions. And so I think my time in policy has taught me that. And then when I came into university at a place like Cornell, I was able to you know, discover and explore how research can be beneficial in broad- broadening the understanding of individuals.
0: Before we talk more about your your work in mental health and like looking at different cultures I want to bring back to what you talked about where the importance of learning about different cultures because Mm -hmm. oftentimes it's like we have like our way of learning about different situations and let's mental health for example we're like this is how we see mental health but what we often forget is that everyone else sees mental health differently and often everyone sees mental health but oftentimes in a different way than how we perceive it yeah so I know this is technically a little bit out of your area of expertise, but talk about the difference about learning about different cultures. Mm-hmm. Not even if it's just about mental health, but like kind of like how you talked a bit about um, just learning about different perspectives. What yeah. like, talk about m- talk more about what learning about different cultures means and what's the reward behind it? Because oftentimes people people are like, okay, yeah, we definitely need to learn about this, but we don't, but we don't mm-hmm. often that there is there was a bigger reward to it or like something that it allows us to like look yeah. at than what we previously have before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I took, I'm, I'm minoring in anthropology currently. Um, and something that one of my anthropology professors was saying was that in anthropology is like the study of cultures, um, just for a quick background, but uh, an anthropologist should never go into another country, um, with the want to understand the culture because it's impossible to do that without living there and it's impossible to understand a, a culture perfectly without growing up there without engaging it you know engaging in childhood and engaging in development and education um and while you can be like let's say 30 and move to a totally different country it, it's not the same you know as being raised there so i think the first thing is um that I experienced and I found value in with by learning about different cultures, like, oh, I don't need to understand. That's not the point. It's not about them convincing me that their culture is good. And it's not about me convincing myself that my culture is good. It's genuinely just taking the time to be their friend. Um, And in a day, you know, in the time period where things are so modern, we have technology, we're so connected with each other. And then a lot of Western states, um, not just states, sorry, a lot of Western countries are, um, I'm forgetting the specific term, but a lot of the Western countries have, like I said, like a bunch of different cultures and a bunch of different demographics. We are beginning to experience um, this combination of, of race, a combination of perspective, a combination of religion. And if we don't take the time to try to appreciate the other person, if we don't take the time to try and appreciate the other person's perspective, then we're never gonna get to kind of like, you know, be- becoming friends with even people we disagree with. Um, it's not about proving what is right and what is wrong. It's about meeting a compromise. And sometimes that requires you to sit down with a person you disagree with and be like, let me hear about you and let me let me see, you know, what your way of life looks like so I can try and appreciate what you are bringing to this table. Um, so I think it's a change in perspective in, in that sense, that it's not necessarily about um like, oh, let me, let me go and understand and let me go teach all these cultures about mental health. It's like, no, no, no. Maybe they don't need our help. Like maybe these people are actually very happy in the eyes of the West, but their practices seem very poor in the eyes of the West, right? So uh, perhaps they don't need our support and it would be better to just let them be and let them exist the way that they want to exist versus saying, no, no, this is the right way. And this is the way you have to do it. Cause that's honestly just a very like colonial mindset. (laughs) Um, And I think, when you look in public health and medicine, that is often the way things are approached. It's like, oh, the West has the best technology. The West has the best medicine. And therefore, we need to force this onto people, which isn't the case. Um, sometimes sometimes we just need to support the initiatives that they are having from their own homes. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that specifically answered your question perfectly, but I think it's less about understanding another culture, but just appreciating what they bring to the table
0: no matter what people's intentions are, and obviously you have great intentions to not only talk about mental health, but also be a friend. Your motto mm-hmm. is not here to help, here to listen. Mm-hmm. And often and the problem with today's world is that not everyone sees that what you're doing is for good. And yeah. the times that I've spoken to you, you've talked about how you've received criticism mm-hmm. for your work in mental health and learning about different cultures. And that shocked me because I'm like, <laughs> Because I'm thinking about your motto, which is not here to help. You're here to listen, and you want to be seen as a friend rather than saying, like, hey, this is how we do things." Yeah. So, firstly, what kind of criticisms are you getting from people? <laughs> and how do you handle it? Because, and I just want to like hype Seika up for like ten seconds. You are obviously one of the nicest people I have met. But how Thank often you. do you just like prov- like? Is there a part of you where when you receive criticism, you're just like? give me a bowl of curry and let me throw it at this person, criticisms. <laughs> <laughs> and like, yeah, just tell me about like how you handle the type of hate or the disagreements you normally receive.
1: Yeah, I think I I, I receive um, a mix. I get, I had someone text me once and it was just this guy and he was like, Hey, it was on your website. Um, completely disagree with your motto. It's like attacking people. Like, what do you mean? You're not here to help. I think what you should say is like, Oh, I'm here to help by listening. And I was like, there's no way this guy is telling me what my motto should be. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like the emotional experience that you are feeling is exactly what I want people to feel. We focus and like because there's a lot of issues within the United States and that needs awareness and needs support. But I think part of that is a little bit ignorant when we neglect people that are really, really suffering abroad or you know, minorities within the United States that are suffering that are perhaps our current initiatives aren't supporting. And when we say, no, 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 I'm here to help you, and we force solutions onto them without asking them what solutions do you need, we are like shoving food and water down like their throat without their ability to drink and like swallow. And that's not healthy. You don't, you don't just shove food in a baby's mouth. You help them. You talk, you know, you, you work with them. And so a lot of the criticism I receive in terms of the motto specifically is like, you should be here helping people. And I'm like, no, I don't think I should be because what am I supposed to help if I don't know what the problem is? And they were like, oh, mental health is a problem. Mental health is a problem. I'm like, but what is it? It's like telling, let's say a sick person walks into the hospital and we say, oh, we're here to help you, but we're not going to listen to what your symptoms are. Mm -hmm. How are you actually going to support them? How are you actually going to help them? So when when we talk about mental health and we're like, oh, we're here to support you, we're here to help you without listening to what the actual issue is, then how are we actually supposed to support them? Because for some people, it's a physical issue. People don't receive enough food. um, Shelter isn't the question. Perhaps the re- reason why their mental health is so low is because they don't have the basic necessities. Okay, so then how do we help them receive the basic necessities? Um, for some people, it's like, oh, I don't have access to healthcare. And because of that, my physical health is making me struggle with my mental health. Or, like, okay, like, how do we help you receive uh, physical healthcare? Or for some people, it's like, oh, like, I'm having a really hard time within school. And that's because I'm having a hard time, you know, understanding my education and my academics, it's affecting my mental health. Okay, how do we support this person? With their academics, how do we support this person within their education? So when you talk about mental health to all these criti- uh, critics, I, what the, what they think is like, oh, we just need to like give them the top ten best healthcare, self help self help, um, you know, tips, but yeah. that doesn't do anything. Um, and I think that has been my main critique is that they think I, I'm not actually helping them. Of course, I would say that has I have helped people, but my goal isn't to just give another solution. My here is is to listen to them and be like, Oh, okay. Like maybe, maybe this person can actually help you better than I can. And then the second criticism I receive often is like, um, I I'm Christian and I work in mental health. And so a lot of people don't see those things working together. And so a lot of the criticism I, I receive is like either one, from Christian other Christians that are like you aren't doing the right thing you should be helping people you should I'm like no this is why people have a, such a bad image of us like we I think we should step back for a second um or on the other hand it's like how dare you be Christian working in mental health of course you don't want to help us like of course you don't want to help people struggling with their mental health so it's a weird sense of like an attack on my identity or my faith. And I wasn't born or raised Christian. It was just something I found down the line of my life. And I'm like, okay, like, (laughs) I think you don't have the the right idea here. Or people are like, you don't, you don't actually know what you're doing. And so how do I deal with it? I just, I just shrug it off because, (laughs) because they don't know me. You can Google me and you can, um, you know, interact with me as many times. But at the end of the day, I think what you see online isn't the perfect picture. Um, and so when I receive that type of criticism from people online, I'm always just like, okay, that's maybe maybe I should look at what I'm presenting myself as. Maybe, you know, there's some things to look there, but I try not to take it to heart because I know I have such a good friend, like I have such great friends and I have such a great community, I have such a great family. Um, and the fact that they know me so well gives me peace when other people seem to be um critiquing my my ideology.
0: No, I love that. And I wanna kind of like kind of go off top because the when, when you were talking about shoving food into baby's mouth was shoving food i was just like is she gonna say curry like i, really I was gonna
1: say that. curry i but i was like maybe i don't want to put curry on such a bad <laughs> image like curry deserves better <laughs> a better a better image <laughs> so
0: oh no we were like we're curry ambassadors we want to make sure we, we we give them the respect it deserves
1: exactly but, exactly <laughs>
0: um as, as someone, as a young person involved, I, I love how I said young. I'm also like 20 years old, but
1: yeah, I'm 21, but and, uh, I would like to think I'm young still. Okay. So,
0: <laughs> but as, as someone who is involved in men- mental health at such a young age, oftentimes we're often, or it's not even just mental health. When, as a young person being involved in pressing issues, they're like, okay, we love what you're doing, but we're just going to put you on the sidelines for now. Yeah. Like, no, I want to be here now. And I know you are often asked, why should more young people be involved? Mm-hmm. In mental health? But instead of asking that, I would love to know, what is it about older generations when it comes to, when they see young people like yourself being involved in mental health, um, particularly mental health, because that's what you're involved mm-hmm. in. When older generations see people like you, what do you think they're missing? Because they're going to be like, um, well, they haven't lived long enough to see the things that we went through. But if yeah, they, as someone who's involved in this, what? What do you think they're missing?
1: I actually love this question. Um, Ironically, I don't think it's what the older generation is missing. I think it's what the younger generation is missing. Um, When we work with an old generation, with with the older generation, and we talk about things like mental health, like you said in the very beginning of this podcast, mental health is a complex, confusing field that has only recently been taking off, especially in a post-COVID time. So we're asking these people that are like 50 or 60, 70 years old, to talk about the traumas that they have suppressed their entire life. And there's obviously a different type of trauma each generation experiences. But no, I realized quickly that no wonder like older people have such a hard time talking about mental health because they have ignored it their entire life. They have never learned anything uh, in terms of you know how to take care of yourself, how to process trauma, how to treat things like depression, stress, and anxiety. And because of how unspoken it was in their generation, it is uncomfortable, and it is weird, and it hurts. Because we're asking an an older generation to address their trauma because it's hurting us, right? And so, and you know, there's such a thing as generational trauma, and and it, yeah, it exists. And so, I think what the younger generation is missing is the fact that we're asking older people to talk about trauma they they haven't tra- talked about before and what the older generation is missing is that their refuse like their refusal of like talking about this is affecting not just our generation but every generation to come because it because it plays out in our politics it plays out in our education it plays out in our relationships and so the reason why i've also received a lot of criticism from adults it's because they're uncomfortable and it's because they're afraid and they, you know, people. I no wonder, I, I try to be patient with them because I don't want to force them down a healing path that they're not ready to go down. So it's kind of like you have to find a good partnership between um, young people and um, I guess like older people. So I would say I I've the criticism that I re- received is like, oh, like you're too young to talk about it. And I'm like, okay, so when are you going to start talking about it? Are you just going to wait until the end of your life to talk about it? No. So I think you're right. We are too young to be talking about it. But you're the generation that has waited too long. And so because of that, it requires us to speak up sooner. So we have to meet a compromise here. Otherwise, our kids are going to suffer probably 10 times more than we will. And yeah, so I think there's there needs to be a, you know, we need to all of us need to set aside our own personal agendas and work towards the betterment of this, of, of the future and of the world. Um, not just for our generation, not just for their generation, but for the generations to come. So the critique of like, oh, young people shouldn't be at the table is invalid because of the story, because of the lack of stories they have um, that the older generation has. I hope that kind of answers it.
0: No, that was great. I love that. And I know you've been working on, working in mental health activ- activism for a very long time. And oftentimes people people will say, there's no plan B, you got to stick to plan A. Mm-hmm. But if if we lived in an alternate world where you were not involved in mental health. Was there mm. something else that you ever see? Or, was there anything else you ever saw yourself doing?
1: This is a good, <laughs> this is fun. Um, so when <laughs> I was actually a freshman in high school, right before, about a year before um, I started all this mental health work, I was actually really interested in sustainability in the, in the environment. And I did a lot of research about what that looked like. That um, was like, right as like Greta Thunberg, like blew up for being this like amazing um, activist in the climate change realm. And I was like, looking at it, I'm like, maybe that's something I want to do. Like, maybe I want to get into sustainability, the environment, climate change. And I was like looking online and I just saw this insane discourse between people. Um, the fact everyone was arguing, like, no, this is right, all these things. And I was like, why are people fighting? <laughs> right? I'm like, what is going on? And then I realized we don't know how to talk to each other. And if we don't know how to talk to each other, why is that? And I think that's because we don't talk to ourselves enough. Like you said in the very first question, right? Like how do I take care of my own mental health and how do I take care of myself? It's because I listen to myself. I journal, I talk to myself. I think, oh man, like, you know what? This is a, this is a pretty big weakness of me. And I need, I need to do better to, to fix that. Or I can be like, this is a good strength. And I'm glad that I have that. And my friends are also able to be like, oh, whoa, Saken, like, are you doing okay? Like you don't seem like yourself today. And I have these really good relationships in my life. And I realize I don't personally, I don't think a lot of these bigger, bigger activists and like, you know, activism issues will ever be perfectly solved. Of course, that would, of course, they won't ever be perfectly solved. But I don't think there'll be any success if we keep ignoring our mental well-being. Because if you don't have a good mindset, you're not going to be able to be a friend with a person that you disagree with. If you don't have a good perspective on your own mental health, or in cultures, or in backgrounds and experiences, you're never going to agree on a topic. And I realized, you know what, I want to do climate change stuff. I want to do environment stuff. But I think I realized quickly that we need to have more conversations about people taking care of themselves and thinking about themselves so we can have bigger conversations on how to take care of this planet. Because if you can't talk with yourself and you can't talk with your friends and you can't talk with your family, there's no way you're going to be able to talk with other people. I think it's just, and that's why I never really chose to go down climate change. And that's why I chose mental health.
0: Well, hey, in a way, I'm glad you chose mental health because here we are today. And (laughs) I want to talk about your website because Mm. I feel like that is so the not here to help. When I first saw the first thing I saw on your website was not here to help here to listen. And I was like, okay, I think this is a great guest for my podcast. (laughs) Um, One of the things that I love about you and your website is that you have blogs where you really talk about your journey. And I know a lot of people go into blogging and Oftentimes when I see a blog, I'm just like, let me see what this person says and then just be done with it.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: the interesting thing about your blog is that you not only tell your story or your journey as an activist, whether it's your life, but you mm-hmm. also, it's like, I, I, you love the blog so much that you're looking forward to the next blog and then the next and the That's next. Sweet, That's what I love so much about how you, how, or your website and your blogs. And mm-hmm. the, the, the thing about, and I talked to this about with uh, with Sophie Barron about the importance of vulnerability And the thing about you is you allow us to kind of in a way like kind of like picture our like picture, like if I'm reading this, I'm like, I'm picturing Mm -hmm. myself as you trying to live this journey into who you are today. All the successes, failures, everything Mm -hmm. that didn't go your way into where you are today. And it it honestly, like, I feel like one of the reasons why you make such a great guest is the the importance of talking about, talking about one's journey.
1: Yeah, Yeah, for sure.
0: Oftentimes, the more personal you get, the more real it gets, the more relatable it gets to audiences. Mm-hmm. Also, you have to be careful of making sure that you don't say anything that puts you in jeopardy, yeah. or put your puts anyone cl- uh, that's close to you in jeopardy. So, yeah. for, I'd love for you to talk about like why you decided to be vulnerable, why you decided to be able to talk to people, or give and give mm-hmm. your audience this ability to just kind of like give people like your Wikipedia page of some sort. <laughs> Yeah, Secondly, how do you and second, this is more of like a common problem. How do you make sure that when you're talking about things that can oftentimes be painful to talk about that you don't put anyone in danger?
1: Yeah, I think the re- I didn't really start writing on my blog until maybe a year and a half to two years ago. I don't, I don't remember. Um, and I think that's because I was like, oh, these people don't need to know anything about me. But then when I switch to research and what I do in my research is I talk to people, right? I talk to people across the world, I interview them, we have conversations to get with them. And a lot of what I do is I help them, you know, spread mental health education in their countries um, in a way that is fit for them. And I'm like, if I'm asking this person a lot of questions about where they come from and the experiences they have, and I choose not to share anything about myself, that's no longer a relationship, right? A relationship is a two way street. And so, if I'm asking people within my work to share things about themselves, and it requires me to be able to answer the same questions that I'm asking them, and so when I made my little question sheet and I was doing this for my interviews for my research, I looked at myself and I was like, oh, I don't think I've I don't think I've answered any of these questions before. <laughs> and so then I went onto my blog. I'm like, you know what? At the very least, I think I can put it on here, and in a way, I'm kind of hit the yeah the questions um, that I asked um, to these people. And so I think that's the first reason why I decided to be vulnerable and share. But it's also because while I do research, and I guess my scientific title is title a researcher, again, I don't want to be seen as anything but like a friend. Um, and I don't even want to be seen as like an activist or a social media activist or any of those things because it takes away the genuineness of it. And I don't want to do this work if I'm not being as genuine as I can be. Um, and that requires vulnerability and that requires information to share. But equally, like you said, I don't want to throw my family under the bus. Um, I don't want to throw my friends under the bus. I don't want to throw the relationships I made within, you know, in this kind of like work under the bus. And so a lot of what you will see is repeated um, stories, right? Like my brother's suicide attempt is something I got his approval to talk about. That is something that I feel comfortable talking about. But odds are, you probably never heard me talk about how that situation in my life made me feel right you probably haven't really heard about like oh how difficult it was to watch that happen or how hard it was to really you know what what led to his attempt right and i think there's are certain areas in my life that i'm not ready to share but i hope one day to share you know whether it be in like the book that i'm writing or um with more people online or even with my friends i think there's a lot of healing that i still have to do and i'm going to do that off you know offline but equally as I start healing and I start sharing my healing journey, that's something I want to share with people. Um, And I want them to see how difficult it can be. I want them to be able to see how good it can be. Um, And that this is a shared experience because ultimately I think at the end of the day, again, like I said, I think it doesn't really matter if you pass a bill or you do some research stories are what move people stories are what inspires people and it helps people help other people. And so as long as I can tell my story, and talk about how people have helped me i can only hope that it will help other people help people too so um i realize i can't just ask i have to also answer um and i just want to be a good friend um to just the people i work with and the people i'm friends with and so i think that takes a lot of self-reflection but it i think it's working out
0: you mentioned that you're writing a book now Mm -hmm. i don't know how long this is something you've been working on but And I don't know how much you can give away, but I'd love to know more about this book. And because I know that was something uh, we've, when I first met, you talked about how you are planning to write a book about kind of like your journey in a way. So I'd love to know more about that book and when we would expect to like see this being published.
1: Yeah. So it's been something I've been working through at my time here in college when I, I began writing it when I was a freshman in university, but I, you know, university is yeah. university. And so it was it was hard to keep up with, but it's been like a side project for me for a while and kind of like the thing I can go to when my mental health work and everything gets a little bit hectic. Um, so the what the book really mainly will cover is um the story of me in high school and it will probably end with a little bit of self-reflection of me in college. Um, and so I'm kind of going through what The same questions that you asked me here today, but kind of more in detail and looking at my specific thought process on pursuing the bills that I pursued and why, why I chose mental health, how I chose my friends to be on this team, how they chose themselves, honestly, like, right. So the book is kind of looking at the details that I've tried and attempted to share, but honestly, I need a lot of pages to explain it. Um, So that's kind of what it's going through, mainly looking at my time in high school with the end bit being a, a somewhat small self reflection as i finish um, college. So i think um in terms of publishing i don't think you really ever know until you start talking to a publisher on what to expect but i'm you know fixing manuscripts and sending them to the editors. So i hope by the time i finish college which will be in the next year and a half or so um i will have a better uh, idea on where, when will be published but i'm looking i'm looking forward to it.
0: You know as as you're talking about this you're talking about like you know this book is about your journey in high school and just a little bit of self-reflection and I'm like you know what at some point I'm expecting like a Forrest Gump like movie <laughs> with you as the main character I,
1: I th- would cry like <laughs> tears yeah. of joy
0: it would be hilarious like I feel like the first scene would just be like you sitting in a bench yeah with like, with like a bowl of curry and you're just going yes to like, it can curry you know you never know what you're gonna get and then I don't know if you've ever been bullied, but I'm just like thinking like, you'll be like with your best friend and someone's throwing rocks at you. Yeah. You're just, someone's just like, run, Seiko, run. And then you're <laughs> running to like Cornell University on a skull. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I, hey, you know what? I was a runner back in high school. So I love yeah. Forrest Gump. It's Perfect. a great movie. So I don't mind. And like, that's kind of, I guess it's kind of exactly the structure of what this book will look like, right? I'm telling the story on the perspective of me now but um, I'm reflecting on it in the best. So I'm hoping that it will look good. And, you know, if there's ever a movie, I hope the first scene will be you and I eating curry.
0: <laughs> Honestly, this movie is going to win so many Oscars. But um, no, I oh, want to talk about Cornell. Um, mm-hmm. Because oftentimes when we think about Ivy League students, we're like, oh, we have like a certain picture, right? Like they're like the smartest. They clearly have like the best GPA, best ACT, SAT scores, everything. Yeah. And you're very open about the fact that that wasn't, That's not, that's not you. You didn't have the best SAT scores. You Mm -hmm. didn't have the best GPA, but what ultimately got you into Cornell was your work in mental health. And I'd love for you to talk about, especially, especially when it comes to Asian cultures where people are like, you need to have the best ACT or SAT score Mm -hmm. best GPA. And oftentimes that's what our life, like, that's what success or failure means. Yeah. So I'd love, So I want to know, I'm curious about like how you're able to tell people that success is not determined by a decibel number or Mm -hmm. what your SAT or ACT scores, but it's about what you do on the outside, outside of classroom rather than inside. And secondly, it must be, it still must be weird going to Cornell in the sense that here you are, you obviously are smart. You obviously, you (laughs) know why you're here, but at the same time, given that the journey other people had to get to where they are and you see like their academic.
1: Yeah. Rather, it's yeah. A,
0: be in a situation where I'm like, I don't feel like I'm supposed to be here given that I wasn't like everyone else.
1: Yeah. I think, well, I applied to Cornell on an impulse. I, I, I like you kind of mentioned and kind of gave insight to, I graduated high school with a 2.6 GPA and a pretty low SAT score of like an 1100 or so. Um, and you know, some people like, I would say that's still a good SAT score, but I guess if you look in the lens of me applying to an Ivy league university, um, it's definitely low. Um, and so I never really expected to get in, but I got an early decision. Um, and I, t- I was able to talk to the Dean of admissions in the college department that I applied to. And basically what she told me, she was like, Seika at this institution, we can teach you everything that you failed to learn in high school. She's like, what what classes did you fail? And I was like, "Uh, Algebra 2 and like chemistry. And she's like, yeah, we can teach you that. Like trust us as Cornell, like trust that the institution of Cornell can teach you every part of academics that you have failed to learn. She's like, but what an institution can't teach you is whether or not you have the values and you have the dedication and the determination to achieve uh, the things that you've achieved or achieved a good academic standing. And I was like, I guess that's a good way to put it. And I think I've always had passion. I've always had the discipline to follow suit with like the things I, I love and I found important. I just, I never really put that on, an emphasis on academics. And so when I came into Cornell, um, <laughs> my friends were like the valid Victorians of their high schools. And I I barely almost graduated. <laughs> so I was like, we are on two different standings. So I think my, especially in my freshman year, it was difficult for me to like keep up with classes because the thing, I I thought it was a joke when say, when people said that, like, you know, going to an institution like Cornell, like, oh, academics move fast. But they really do. Like, they really go fast. And I can't keep up. And so I had to accept that I'm not going to get straight A's. Um, and that's because I'm still going to do the work I'm going to do. That's why they accepted me. Um, and I think... You know that also comes down to privilege, and I, I I've heard people be like, oh, like you probably come from a super rich background, but that's not the case. My mom's is, is an immigrant. My she doesn't she didn't work when I was younger. Um, my dad is a is a bartender, <laughs> so like you know, and my family struggled with a lot of financial insecurity when I was growing up. So it's not a matter of my family paying their way into this institution. Cornell is someone is I mean is an institution that really cares about the person that you are and the character that you have. And I would like to say that that is what universities are looking at now. They're not looking at the perfect, you know, 1600 on the SAT or a 4.0 GPA. They're looking at character. They're looking at passion and they look at the discipline to follow suit with that passion. So honestly, my my advice to people in high school that are struggling with academics and you have a different passion, follow that passion, dedicate yourself to that passion and still apply to these institutions because they want you. They don't want the perfect, you know, well-rounded academic student they want someone that is passionate and cares and cares about the community and cares about the people around them so um i i just i've always felt happy and proud of the work that i've done and I put myself out there and it ended up working out for me, but it's still hard. I'm still not the greatest student. My friends will make fun of me all the time for skipping class. And I'm like, listen, I don't just skip class for fun. I have meetings. So let that be known. If any of my friends are listening, you guys suck. <laughs> no, they're great. And I think my friends do a great job of keeping me accountable. They they, they take classes with me and they will always study with me. And I think I'm, I'm really lucky to have such a good community surrounding me um, that helped me balance both my life and my work and school. So I, I think I'm really, really grateful for that. It was my brother's wife, her dad was the one that apply- told me to apply to Cornell. And I think that really gives a good insight um, of how lucky I've gotten with the people in my life. And I think, yeah, they, they keep me accountable. They keep me as a as a decent student. And I'm just really grateful that an institution like Cornell cares about um, the person that you are over the academics that you are. So strive to be a good person, strive to have good character um, over a
0: 4.0. Before I let you go, I want to talk about gratefulness in two different ways. And this is something you, are, something you are very passionate about talking about, but I wanna first talk about the fact that throughout your journey, whether it's in mental health or just as a human being in general, you mm-hmm. have met many people and you are someone that, regardless of how long you've met them, whether you still talk to them or whatnot, you are grateful that you have in a way met them because they impacted your life and they've helped you become the person um, you are today. So whether mm-hmm. that's family whether that's you know people in college whether that's people who have connected you because of your work in mental health activism yeah they've played an important part in your life and absolutely like how we talked about what it was like for you to work with friends with with arc nova i'd mm-hmm. love to talk more about what people have meant to you regardless of who they are what they mean to you and how have they helped you become the person they are today i know obviously everyone has their own perspectives on that question but for mm-hmm. you personally, what does that mean to you?
1: Yeah, I think I think I look back at my childhood best friends, um as in more like my my high school friends. <laughs> um i I grew up pretty lonely, I think. I when my brother was going through his healing journey and this is probably the most i've ever shared about this it was really difficult because a lot of the um focus was on him and whether or not he was going to be okay and i think i also poured a lot of my focus on that as well so when i became you know a high school student and i had a little bit more um i think cognitive brain like i had a brain that actually worked and i was able to like think about myself my own emotions i realized i had a lot to work through as well and um I it was my friends that were there for me in the very beginning and I heard I heard a quote once where it's saying that you you carry a little bit of every person that you ever meet and I I try to take that to heart every time I meet a person um because every person comes with their flaws and their strengths no one's really no one's perfect in this world um but I meet a lot of people and I talk to a lot of people and I learn a lot from a lot of people and I don't think I'm ever going to have like the perfect words to say like I'm not a poet I can't I can't like you know make this beautiful poem about how my friends make me feel and i'm not an artist i can't paint a perfect picture of you know how my friends or the greatest friends alive and like this is like the beautiful image and the beautiful story i can't do any of those things but what i can do is try and give back the love that i received from my friends and my family to the people that i work with uh, to you to um to the people that i interview to the people across cultures in different countries that perhaps aren't receiving that same amount of love perhaps they're you know suffering from war or they have a lot of their own family traumas. I, I'm really lucky to have been surrounded by such amazing friends. And it's not hard to be grateful for people that have changed your life in ways that you can't imagine. Everything I have done would have been completely impossible if it wasn't for the people in my life. Um, one of my friends uh, a year ago, she was like, it's like, I don't care if you're able to help a thousand people, or if you save a thousand lives, if it comes at the cost of your own well-being and happiness, it means nothing to me. And I think that was the first time I realized, wait a minute, what am I doing for the people in my life? Um, I'm doing all these things. For, I, I'd like to think I'm doing all these things for other people, for, for a mission, for a cause, but what am I doing for them? And that, what have they done for me? They have done everything. They joined my organization back in high school when I had You know, when my principal told me to quit, they said, no, Seika, don't quit. We're going to help you. And so they helped me. And when I went into college, when I was like, guys, should I go all the way to New York? I've never been to the East Coast before. They said, Seika, it's time for you to go to the next stage. Go to the next stage and we'll still be there. And they're still here. And when I came to college, I met some of the greatest people in my life. And they said, Seika, you know, you are learning a lot about life now. You come from a hard background, but we're here to love you like a person. We're here to love you and support you like a person. And I was like, you know what? That's a really good mindset. That is what mental health is. Mental health is a, a framework of relationships. It's the relationship that you have with yourself, the relationship that you have with others, and the relationship that you have with your passions. Um, I'm grateful that the people in my life has helped me maintain those relationships in all those three areas of my life. And, and you know, I, I don't again, I don't have the perfect words to describe it, but um, gratitude. Is just one word that barely scrape you know scrapes the surface of what I feel. Uh, my community here, my community back home, my community in the mental health network has been amazing. I have I met a lot of friends through the Rare Beauty program, which has been absolutely lovely. And so, I think if we take a little bit more time to practice gratitude and execute gratitude, you know, this life will look a lot more brighter. So I'll leave it with that. I, I love my, my friends. I love my family. I love my communities, um, and that is the very reason why I do the work I do.
0: My last question is obviously no one, I mean, you have a very unique perspective on gratefulness and the fact that gratefulness isn't about all the good things that happen in life. Yeah. Also the bad things. Now, no one's going to sit up here and say, I am so glad that this bad event happened. What we can say is that this event that didn't go our way will shape us into the human being we are today. Mm -hmm. And you know, you are someone that's talked about how there have been ups and and downs, but ultimately here you are. But I'd love to know if... If there are moments in your life where you're like, I wish this thing did end up going my way, and like, how often do you think about that, and do you wish that, like, if whatever didn't go away did go away, that we'd see a different version of you instead of who we who we're seeing today? I know that's such a weird question to ask, but like, no,
1: I think I, I think that's such a good question, um, and I think we should be asking that question, you know, to ourselves all the time. Yeah, like what, if, um, what right, if- like what if things were a little bit different? What if you know, what if that worked out? What if this didn't work out? I think. Um joy is something that i often think about just as a broad term and mental health has taught me that you don't just experience one emotion at once right you you can be happy and sad you can be sad over a failed test but you can be happy about a sunny day and that can happen on the same day right you can be you can be sad about a failed project but you can be happy that your friends are going out that night and perhaps there's really nothing going on that makes you happy but at least you're alive at least you have you know, a house, at least you're able to listen. If you don't even have those things, you know, at the end of the day, there's something around you that you can find joy in. The birds, the sun, the way the trees look today, the way the wind blows, um, the way we're, we're able to live in a community, the way there's access towards things, the way things are getting better, um, the way people want things to get better, the way that people are working to get things better. Um, the search for gratitude can be exhausting sometimes. So, so, so I, I would say that it's okay to not always be grateful. But I think pursuing gratitude and pursuing gratefulness is important. But I have definitely thought sometimes, especially it's more of like an immediate reaction. Like if I got rejected from something, I'm like, man, that really sucks. Like it would been so cool if that worked out. But then I don't. I try not to dwell on it. I try not to go a week later. I'm like, oh man, like that still really sucks. Or two weeks later, and let it, you know, consume me. I I, I let myself experience what I'm feeling right? If I'm feeling sad about a rejection or something, I'm like, man, I'm sad about this, but then I can be able to be like, okay, you know what? I'm sad about this now. So I can be happy as I move on. Um, and I think a lot of it takes reflection. I think a lot of it takes practice and time because I'm definitely not perfect at it, but it's a constant pursuit of learning. It's a constant pursuit of, you know, individual education of, you know, learning to educate yourself about yourself. Um, so I would say I get, you know, I get down sometimes I get sad Often, you know, that, that happens in life. I'm healing from a lot of things and that requires a lot of um, digging into who I am. But it goes hand in hand with the gratitude I mentioned earlier. So it's a big misconception that you only experience one thing at once. Try to let your, yourself experience what you're feeling and then take it day by day.
0: I could talk to you for hours, but honestly, I know you how busy of a person you are, but I am very grateful to have met you. And thank I'm you. so grateful that you are you a guest on this podcast. So thank you so much for joining. Thank you for being an amazing friend. Thank you for honestly being an amazing supporter. I know oftentimes with this podcast, there are times where I give up, but you know you remind me of why I should continue going. Um, no plan B, just keep going, follow your passion. And yes, there are going to be things that don't go your way, but ultimately you should be happy that you see a sunny day and technically yeah. it's sunny in Ohio. So you,
1: <laughs> it's we- sunny here in Ithaca. So you know what? Cheers to that.
0: And most importantly, thank God I finally found a person who loves curry. So <laughs>
1: exactly, thank you. Know what? Be grateful that we have some curry, right? That's a yeah. that's a good way to look at it.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course, we'll we'll make it happen. But seriously, thank you so much, and uh, I'm excited to see what's in store for you in the future.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you saw, feel free to subscribe to Oh My Curry Goodness, wherever you get your podcasts, and also feel free to follow us on Instagram at the OMCG Podcast. If you want to get in touch with Seika or check out her website, feel free to check it out at www.seikabrown.com. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Thank you guys for continuing to support this podcast in however you're doing that, and I hope to see you guys in the next episode.